0: So this is a series of podcasts um, that we're making around LGBTQ stories in England and Wales that are focusing on or telling us a little bit more about life in England before the Sexual Offences Act. So before the legalization of homosexuality in 1967. And I'm here on a cold, miserable, windy January morning. Afternoon, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Reflecting on the tour that I made of the show A Haunted Existence, and I've been joined by Jeannie Sinclair. Hello, Tom. Hello. And um, you worked with me on making that show, so doing all the research that informed the making of the show. And the show was presented in Bristol's um, island, the Bridewell prison cells. Um, and I presented it for um, two weeks. And then I went on to try to develop a UK tour of the show. And I was quite keen to make the show feel much more relevant all, in, all of the places that I went to, so some of the smaller ones and some of the larger cities, um, because the story really is a very much focused on a kind of a West Country show, because the the central figure is this character called Geoffrey Patrick Williamson and he starts on a train. The train is an Exeter train going to Bristol. I think he picks the train up at Taunton and there he gets into conversation with a man in the same carriage who turns out to be an undercover railway officer and um, he... Well, what happens then, Jeannie? Jeannie?
1: he's arrested for making advances sexual advances towards the police officer and then um, he's taken to the police station and when he's interviewed he gives the police the names of other men who are then also arrested for committing homosexual acts and so a total of um, 21 men are arrested and 19 go to court.
0: So then it really sort of, it it just shows that this one single story really spirals out, I suppose. And I was interested to find similar stories that speak of this story in other places because it actually, it wasn't a one-off thing that in that time in the 1950s, there was a lot of witch hunts against gay men, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it's, really good to be able to focus on stories outside of London as well, that it's not just focused on things that happen in big cities and that actually these are really interesting stories that were happening um, outside the metro- metropolitan areas and uh, there are some really extraordinary stories mm. and some really awful injustices and it's been a really interesting way of um, exploring how those stories um, play out in other places as well.
0: Yeah so I had this idea that when I would go to these places I would work with a local archive and an archivist to kind of dig around and find stories that tell similar or or different very different stories but talk about um, homosexuality and work with a group of interested people that would then go about to try to find out more stories for themselves so they would be able to conduct their own research. And I was interested in working with people that might be on that sort of journey themselves into finding stories. and that sort of makes me think about something that you quite often said within this collaboration, a brand research and research being me search. Yeah, because it kind of tells you people are researching for their own reasons, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think quite often um, that's what drives the kind of search for more information about um, these kinds of stories and about the history of these kinds of stories, where um, it's about search for your own identity as well. And looking at how you relate to these other stories. And again, we've had that conversation plenty of times before about extraordinary, ordinary people having extraordinary stories. Mm. And I think that's what's really fascinating.
0: So the Heritage Lottery funded um, me to work with um, three different archives and um, put together groups of people and also with a kind of touring pop-up exhibition that told the haunted existence story as well. So it was very much embedded within historical research. And as you say, I think what happened through that was that people began to find their own history through those stories, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to be able to highlight the fact that people can see their own lives reflected in these histories as well. That, um, you know, people are just people and there's definitely things that people can identify with in each of the different stories that we've uncovered, um, that there's, there are details within that that are really um, familiar and people can empathize. And I think that's mostly the, the most important aspect of this, that there's a real human connection there that you can empathize with these, um, mm. the people that we're telling stories about.
0: And there's something as well around this idea that there stories that are kind of right at the forefront in an archive Mm. are very much controlled by forces that uh, you talk about it much more eloquently but this uh, uh, idea around um the kind of white heterosexual man being Mm. of of dominance within the archive and those stories and so the archival silences that you that aren't there
1: yeah i mean there's these kind of um power structures, invisible power, power structures, structures that yeah. control the archive that assume that the archival subject is white, heterosexual, male. And part of the problem in researching the stories around haunted existence were that a lot of the men involved weren't from uh, were from working backgrounds, working class backgrounds, and um, weren't particularly well-educated. And unfortunately, if you're not from um, a wealthy background or if you're not... Um, not quite middle class um, then there's there's not a lot that you can find in the archive mm-hmm. about people and it it's a real problem and, and a challenge as a historian doing the research to be able to kind of find out as much as possible about those people but the trail often goes cold because people are, are written about in the archive generally so that's why it's interesting you know they don't have their own Autonomy. It's not their voices that you're hearing. It's mm-hmm. the um, when they're written about um, by um, the state or the police or you know that's that's why so it's very much one side of
0: their lives that you get recorded which is um, around like crime and punishment basically exactly so
1: yeah it's mostly in kind of criminal records and it's you don't hear the voice of um of people themselves Mm. so that's why it's interesting to kind of um be able to look at things like diaries that we've done Mm. this time around as well Mm. which has been really interesting
0: um so if we just look at the kind of Research that you carried out for Haunted Existence, it feels like they could actually be divided quite neatly into different types of research.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for Haunted Existence, you gave me a newspaper article um, about the Jeffrey Patrick Williamson case. And that had a list of names, basically names and ages and um, the addresses where these men lived at the time of their arrest. And that was what I had to start with. Um, so I was using ancestry, um, ancestry.com, to look up details about each of the, those men. And sometimes there was very little other than birth and perhaps death records. However, in the case of Jeffrey, it was um, much easier to find information about him because he was better educated because he went to a public school. Um, his father was an engineer, and he was registered to vote everywhere that he lived Um, so that makes it a lot easier so we were able to to kind of trace his journey and where he was at different stages and of course then the immigration records so the Australian archives are really helpful for that Um, because when because he emigrated
0: yeah yeah,
1: so when um, he was consistently registered to vote at every address that he lived at. And then suddenly in 1965, all records disappear of Geoffrey. He was living in London at the time. And so just as a as a kind of hunch, really, I thought perhaps because there's no death certificate or no record of his death at that time. So I decided to check the emigration records. And luckily, the Australian National Archives are really, really useful. It's, everything's digitised and it's free to access as well.
0: So can you tell us what other research methods that you used?
1: So for Veer Casper, who is one of the men on the list, because it was such an unusual name, I thought I'd just Google it. And what was really interesting about that is that what came up was really quite unexpected. And it was the uh, message board of the Um, Newton Abbott Metal Detecting Club and someone had found a a quite extraordinary piece of jewellery a bracelet on the beach whilst metal detecting that was engraved with Veer Casper's name and that was in 2015 and so they had an image of the bracelet and it said on the back it had Veer Casper and it had his RAF number and also... Um, always we three engraved on the back Um, so that was quite extraordinary to Mm. to find um, something like that just through googling it doesn't happen very often it also came up with the details of his discharge as well which was um, quite interesting as well because it showed when that he'd been made uh, an officer and it was unusual for People to be able to work their way up from being ground crew to being an officer to actually being um, mm. flight crew.
0: In the show, I say, so he must have been pretty good at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but
1: also the bracelet was just, a completely, uh, just completely out there. It was just not what we were expecting at all. Mm. And that was really wonderful because that brought up so many different other potential stories where did he, th- you know, had he drowned himself? Mm. Did he throw it into the sea, you know? Um, it's so many possibilities
0: when we look at these materials like whether they're actual objects or photographs of objects or papers Mm. we kind of look at them in this way like the the bones the flesh or the ghosts Mm. so the bones are what are there the flesh are kind of like what we can imagine around that or paint that picture to make it more vivid and clearer about that person the ghosts are really what is left out Mm. and that felt really with Veer's story like there was a there was a combination of all of those three things happening
1: yeah absolutely and with any document there is you know the it's the kind of bare bones of the story that um that bracelet was definitely haunted by you know Veer's ghost and that idea of what has happened to him and how did that bracelet end up on the beach?
0: Um, and was he in a three-way relationship? Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> the, yeah, and the kind of coincidence with the the song that you'd used as well—that um, um, it was um, it was really fascinating—and that that generates as ma- as many questions as it answers, I suppose, as well. Mm. And that was what led us to then um, again go back to ancestry.com. We, I knew that he died in 1971 um, and we decided that we'd order his death certificate and to find out how he died and um, that was again really revealing because we'd had all these dramatic ideas about maybe he'd taken his own life mm. or um, and it turned out that he died of a heart attack um, when he was in his 50s while managing a nightclub in Torquay, mm. which was also...
0: Quite th- th- celebratory almost. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so like it's had a good life. Yeah. And the whole thing about that process was really interesting for me was because like so you there's things that you can see and there's things that you can't. And so mm. the death certificate are the things that you have to pay for. Mm. And so every time there was this kind of possibility that like that, that we kinda needed to know a bit more. Mm. we like, is it worth spending twenty five quid or however it was much twenty eight quid. Yeah, <laughs> really twenty eight quid to 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 find out. Mm. And actually the moments that we did pay out for that. They it kind of paid off really because they were really interesting, fruitful mm. stories.
1: Yeah, I mean it was yeah, it was really fantastic. And so just that, you know, working on a project like this quite often it wouldn't occur to me to just Google somebody's name because mm. it's, it's, it's too obvious it, almost. Well also um you're unlikely to find information about that specific Specific person, mm. unless they've got an unusual name mm. like Via Casper. Mm. So, yeah, we were just really we were just struck mm. lucky with that one, and it's such a fascinating story as well. That um, and
0: then the other research that you did was in the Hall Carpenter archive, mostly.
1: That's right. Um, that's a really incredible archive, which is um, an LGBTQ plus archive, um, and uh, that's got some really valuable. Collections around um, gay history. Essentially, it's it's a really valuable archive that has a lot of uh, information about the legal campaign to um, decriminalise homosexuality. So, Mm. um, from the beginning of well, from before Wolfenden, really. So, from the before it's kicked off. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's really Mm. valuable as as a kind of contextual um, research tool. So, it has. I mean, there's an awful lot of stuff um, they've. It's, there's several different sections and there's a lot of newspaper articles that mention um, homosexuality and criminality and various different cases. And there's lots of newspaper clippings which are really useful. Plus, on top of that, there's all these um, legal documents which and letters and campaign documents. But so this
0: was all happening before... That, that put into place the wheels in motion for yeah. the Wolfenden Committee. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's got um, things from before Wolfenden, and then um, after the Wolfenden. After Wolfenden was set up, it's got a lot of details so about the members. To put
0: that into context, sorry, Wolfenden. Mm. It like I talk about it within yeah. the show, but it took about twelve years to actually action. But it was a group of people that were set up a committee, and they looked mm. at the way that. They looked at the possibility of homosexuality being legalised, but it Mm -hmm. took them 12 years to kind of come to that decision.
1: Yeah, so there were lots of interesting people brought together to, um, as part of Wolfenden as well. Well, That was one of the really interesting things. Jeremy Thorpe is a big supporter Mm -hmm. of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And you've got... um, uh, Lord
0: Owen, who I do a lip-sync to.
1: Yeah, and um, there are also um, religious leaders um, as part of that and um, a, a huge number of different people coming from kind of different areas um, like medical professionals and the discussion around it's quite interesting actually the way that they choose to discuss the way in which they might campaign to get public sympathy because of course Wolfram didn't, didn't just cover homosexuality it also covered things like prostitution mm-hmm. and
0: Were there women in the committee?
1: Yes, there were. Um, And so it was a a very interesting group of people and from all sorts of different walks of life. And uh, of course the the findings that they um, came to on prostitution were implemented within two years of the report being published. Mm. And it took another 10 years for um, them to implement the changes um, in the law for homosexuality, partly because they believed that there wasn't the public sympathy to do that, that um, they thought it wouldn't get passed, Mm.
0: basically. So they really needed the kind of like, almost like the DNA of the society to kind of shift a bit so that that they could, it could be accepted by society.
1: Yeah, and actually I think it's really interesting if you read a lot of, newspaper articles from the time looking at letters um letters to the newspaper and things like that there's a lot of sympathy and again what i was saying earlier that the way they decided that they should campaign was based on a a kind of medical um construction of homosexuality that it was um, they thought that the best way to get decriminalization was to use the kind of medical theories of the time which was that homosexuality was a mental illness essentially Mm -hmm. but they thought that that would gain most sympathy with the public as a as a way of approaching it which is quite interesting so there's an awful lot of other stuff in the archive around aversion therapy therapy and the kinds of medical treatments that um were um used
0: at that time so in the show I, i i do a whole sort of aversion therapy section so over the next um three podcasts we're looking at different stories and some of them kind of rub up against these stories mm. in in interesting ways. And some of them sit very differently. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about in them. I was just going to add that part of the way that I was interested in adding to this research, so kind of working in hand in hand with, was the kind of work that I did with a spiritual medium, So um, I organised a séance because I felt like a lot of these people that would have been involved in this court case had passed away by now, Um, and so we tried to um, connect up with them with the people around this court case, and it actually proved to be like really have some really interesting results. And I just felt like it was a very interesting process to go through in terms of like having your kind of rigorous approach to the way that you look within archives and uh, how you um, collect the knowledge that informs the show. But then because it's a theatrical interpretation of this, it felt just like um, just that. Something extra that it kind of needed to move it forward into a theatrical domain, and for me, it felt like it didn't really matter whether people actually believed in that or not. It was part of the experience, really, of making that show feel like a séance.
1: I absolutely loved that part of it. I loved the idea that you um, had a séance as a as a research method. That was one of um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the whole research process was working in different ways Mm. um which i wouldn't normally get to do
0: great okay well let's wrap up there and um we're going to look at uh, a battersea story next in wandsworth